DJ, PK, and David Locke joining us. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Excellent. As much as everybody wants to look back, I want to look forward. The ten oh, game winning wow. Yeah, the ten game winning streak is history, but it's been a great month and a half. And I think everyone's got a lot more confidence in the team they had, but we know there have been a lot of big games. That Clipper game does stand out as a quality win. But between now and the All-Star break, we've got like eight games against teams that we know are good. Home and home with Denver and Dallas and Houston. I haven't seen those teams yet, so that'll be fun. Uh, Miami and Indiana, who both beat them on the road, are now coming in uh, to Utah to play before the All-Star break. What do you expect out of the Jazz in this stretch? Because if they crush it in this stretch, there's a little bit of reservation now because everyone knows the schedule's been soft. People are excited, but they're not totally letting themselves go. But if they crush it in this next stretch, you know, then then the hype goes over the top. Yeah, I mean, I think... <clears throat> um, I mean, there's obviously, I guess... I don't know what the reservation is, I guess. Um like, I think the Jazz have shown that they're one of the four or five best teams in the NBA. Like, I think that's pretty clear. Um, now, are they one of the one or two best? I guess that's if someone's waiting to see that is, I guess, what the reservation is. Um, but I, I'm not. Um, so we'll see. I mean, yeah, sure. If you go and take a back to back and win in San Antonio and in Denver on a back to back. Sure. It's also I mean, I don't know. Like the chances of that are probably like 12 percent. So. Um, I guess, yeah, so if you want to play on the margins and, um, you know, try to go win games that you have, you know, or sequences of games that you have, you know, a 10 or 12 or 15% chance of, of doing, and if you go do those, then, you know, anoint the team, I guess, but I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm online with this kind of thought process. I think that they certainly have, you know, taken advantage of um, a schedule that has, um, had some, you know, advantages to it. They also took advantage of every single one, which is pretty unlikely also. So, um, you know, if you have a 60% chance of winning, a coin that flips 60% of the time your way, you don't actually get it 10 times in a row. So I think that, I think that they've shown what they need to show. I hate the floater, particularly Conley's right-handed floater, and I think that, and back me up or correct me, what have you, I think one of the reasons for Donovan Mitchell's improved play, it doesn't seem like he's shooting the floater, and so he's coming and make that basket from a little more uh, uh, further away from the bucket, but he's more under control. Can you back me up, or you disagree? Yeah, so they've changed the angles by which he's attacking, and his floater percentage is through the roof right now, probably unrealistically. Um, I'd have to check my most recent numbers on it, but you know, as of a few days ago, he'd been like 14 days at 56%. Um, but he was coming straight at the basket. The big was dropping. It was all kind of on the same plane. He was, my opinion, he was floating it and still moving forward, which is an incredibly difficult shot. If you watch now, he's coming from different sides and angles and approach points. And then he's able to kind of almost come to a stop so that it's more of like a five-foot jump shot or eight-foot jump shot. Not really, because he is still kind of pushing it up there. But rather than an on-the-run floater, the on-the-run floater is just an incredibly low percentage shot because it's incredibly difficult. Doesn't a lot of that go away now because he got more shooters? If you run the pick-and-roll, the floater isn't going to be the only thing available to you now. Either you'll get to the hoop or Rudy will be there for a lob. And if not, one of the three-point shooters is open. I don't think they need to shoot that shot as much because of the way the team shoots the ball from the perimeter now. 
Well, I mean, I also think, you know, Quinn's been teaching them kind of to change their approach when they get in there. Be, you know, come to, come to a little bit of a stop, look to fake, get your feet set, be ready to, um, you know, be ready to make a pass if necessary. So there's a, the, the Jazz have improved the approach that they were taking to those shots as well. Um, and, you know, to PK's point, um, I just pulled up. Oh, no, I pulled up Emmanuel Moutier, so I'll, I'll pull up Donovan in a second and see whether. I feel like he's still taking as many. He's just making. How about uh, Bogdanovich when his feet are set and he's open on the three? What's his percentage? Because my, my, my I, thinking, it's got to be at least 50. I believe his open three percentage is over 50%. His catch and shoot uh, three percentage is about forty four. Um, it's great, right? I mean, if he's open, it's deadly. The Brooklyn Nets broadcast, Sarah Kuskoff, their analyst, just early in the game put a Donovan Mitchell, um, Rudy Gobert pick and roll on the screen, and then just put a number on top of the four players that were on the outside, and the four and the numbers were, you know, forty three, forty three, forty five, and that was the three point percentage of each player, and that was. And she's right. And on the other end, that was kind of almost, I thought, you know, um, the easy version of it. Because if Bogdanovich has a defender more than six feet away, then he's 50%. And if Bogdanovich is a catch and shoot, then he's at that 42% you're talking about. Um, even You know, he's one of the better contested three-point shooters in the league last year. It's not uh, shown yet this year. But last year he was, uh, actually think, the best contested three-point shooter. So he can get, you know, he's got such a quick release. But you're absolutely right. I mean, when he's open, it's, it's, it's stealing. So there are 34 players in the league shooting 40% or better, and the Jazz have four of them. Is that going to change, or are they going to shoot it like this the rest of the year? No, I mean, I think that's what all of us thought when the year started. I mean, I had this as the number one or two offense in the NBA, and it didn't start that way. But that was not because of the starters, right? Like, So league average offensive rating is about 110. Um, if you look at our starting group and <clears throat> you look at their three- and four-man lineup numbers, uh, our starting group kind of universally right now is – at 116, 117, 118, um, and they're the you know they're the best best there are in the league, and the, they've been that way all season long. The problem was that when we went to the bench, we were like 84, 90. Like it was really it was a disaster. So now that that's not a disaster anymore, um, I think that you're seeing that this you know that this is this is what our offensive rating. I think in the last 15 games is a 118 point. Three, the next best in the league is a 116.6. League average, as I said, is now up to a 111 with New Orleans. <clears throat> um, so I, I think that there's a legitimate chance that we have the best offense in the NBA uh, for exactly the reasons <clears throat> excuse me, that you're talking about. I mean, here's the numbers. When Gobert, Ingles, O'Neal, and Mitchell are on the floor, so this is the starting five without Boyan. The offense is a 119.5. Jordan Clarkson, Emmanuel Moutier, George Niang, Donovan Mitchell on the floor. Doesn't play, hasn't played a lot, but <clears throat> 119. Bogdanovich, Gobert, Ingles, O'Neal, so that's the starters without Donovan, 119. Um, so any of the starter groups are about 119. Put Mike Conley in there, it's 117. Put Jordan Clarkson, George Niang, Donovan Mitchell, Tony Bradley in there, it's 116. I mean, there's just, and there, you know, we're not at a great sample size. With All these are about nine, at least 100 minutes, a little short on one. But it's pretty consistent. Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, Royce O'Neal, Donovan Mitchell, 115. And so how is it possible that this team is not, um, 
you know, the best offense in the NBA right now? Well, because earlier in the year, when you put some of these lineups out on the floor together, you know, it it was a disaster. Jeff Green, Joe Ingles, George Niang, Donovan Mitchell was a 90. Jeff Green, Boyan, Gobert, and O'Neal was an 86. Mike Conley, Jeff Green, Boyan, and Rudy was a 78. Yes. And so we've eliminated that aspect of, of the lineups. Jeff Green was part of like seven three foursomes that was below 100. Um, there are still some that, you know, we still have one or two dead spots in our um, in our grouping, and we'll see what happens. There's a Moutier lineup with Clarkson that's not always as good as we'd like it to be. Um, and so we'll see how that all plays out. Do you think they're done making any roster moves? Nope. Now, does that mean a roster move will be made? Um, no, but I do I think like that Justin Zanuck and Dennis Lindsay are sitting on their um, – hands right now and saying oh we're good no i don't that's not how they work no that's maybe like four days in august i get that but i'm wondering if that if you i mean i think it's gonna be really really difficult to make a move they just don't have but i thought it was gonna be impossible to make a move before jordan clarkson too so um um you know i just didn't think they had any pieces to i thought they were you know trying to play stratego without you know without any you know pieces that could protect you so or you could trade out like i just didn't think they had the pieces on the board but they found a way to do it impressively so it seems to me that every time tony bradley checks in the game the other team immediately attacks the hoop foul issues for him foul issues for other guys and you know how it works in a playoff assuming there's no roster changes between now and then teams try to find the weakest link and they go at you unmercifully Unmercifully. Unmercifully. <laughs> Thank you, PK. <laughs> How much can he improve between now and then? What can they do to change that? Because that seems to be a just a focus of every team they play. Well, I thought Scott Brooks was really revealing after the Washington game. Scott Brooks said literally, like, well, I think we lost this game because we didn't attack Tony Bradley enough. I was like, what? Like, he played 15 minutes. But that was the approach, right? The The... There's so much respect for Rudy and an understanding of how great Rudy is that if we're going to be able to if we're going to be able to win this game, we're going to have to do it in the 14 minutes of Tony Bradley's on the floor. I'm not sure how much of it is Tony Bradley and how much of it that he's not Rudy Gobert, um, but it is clear that you know it's like a big huge memo goes out to everybody that says Rudy Gobert is not on the floor. Go to the rim and. You can see it. Even Brandon Ingram last night, you saw him, you know, attack immediately late the minute Rudy went out after, you know, Brandon Ingram was just incredible last night. Um, but I, so, I, and I don't have the answer here for you of whether this is a Tony Bradley problem or, you know, we saw the same thing with Ed Davis, frankly. Um, so Derek Favors, they didn't do it to as much, though they did do it, but not as much. And that Derek Favors is like one of the top 15 centers in the NBA. That was an anomaly. We're not going to have that ever again where you have happen to have, you know, one of the top 10 or 15 centers in the NBA as your backup center. So I'm not, I'm not convinced that Tony Bradley in the realm of backup centers is that bad. Um, I just think he's not Rudy Gobert. Can I throw one at you guys? Go. Three major moves in the offseason. The rule in the NBA always was that the better player makes the trade better. Like if you get yeah. Charles Barkley and you, you know, Jeff Hornacek, those trades. Okay, so three major moves last year. Let's ignore draft picks for a second. Paul George for Shea Gilgis Alexander and Danilo Gallinari. Who got the better end of that trade? Yeah, I don't think we know yet because if the Clippers win the title, then it's the Clippers. Right, but, but Shea but, Gilgis Alexander is great. He is? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, to your point, Oklahoma City did very well moving their star player because right. usually that puts you at a major disadvantage, and they, they did well for themselves. So without draft picks, I'm not sure that I don't think that you flip those two. I don't think the Thunder are better with Paul George instead of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari. And I don't think the Clippers are worse with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, than Paul George. Yeah, but the Clippers were trying to get better, not trying to not be worse. Well, I, I think they could get – like, I guess I actually think that, you know, Shea Gilgis – they wouldn't have got Kawhi. I got it. But my point is, without draft picks, right, there's a million draft picks involved in this. Yeah. Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, who got the better end of the deal? Come on, it's not even close. <laughs> well, you don't, you don't so like Westbrook, though. Outlet. It could have been Westbrook but, and Exum, and you would have gone with Exum. You don't like Westbrook. But Well, it's not close. Chris Paul's utterly outplaying Russell Westbrook this year. Utterly. I mean, it's not even close. Is, so if that's true, is Houston or is Oklahoma City going to catch Houston in the standings? Well, they don't. No, because Chris Paul's the best player at Oklahoma City, and Houston is James Harden. And so James Harden will make sure the Rockets stay in front of the Thunder. James Harden's having one of the most incredible seasons of all time. And Russell, the only reason it's not getting more publicity is because people don't like James Harden and because Russell Westbrook's like an anchor. Um, and then, I got to tell you what, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart for Anthony Davis? It's not like one-sided. I think that there's a uh, trend here in both the Laker and Clipper deals is no one wants to trust young guys to get better. And if they do get better, do they get better on a team that's in the middle of the league? Can they deliver for the best teams in the biggest moments? And veterans and management largely think the answer to that is no because the history of the NBA says the answer to that is largely no. Right. And we may have gotten to an age where winning a championship is crazy expensive of what it's going to cost you in the long run. Possibly, yeah. The other one, the other one that will be interesting is over time. We all love the draft picks, and we give Sam Presti all of this credit for getting all these draft picks, which is you know, yeah. Let's see, how, like the value of draft picks is an interesting concept, right? So, fifty percent of all players drafted after eleventh in the NBA become rotation players um, in the first round. Only fifty percent. So, you know, sometimes I think when the trade is made, there's an overvalue to what the value of draft picks are, but it's pretty incredible to me that those three deals right now, which may also all be wins for the teams that made them, right? Chris Paul and James Harden clearly could no longer coexist. Anthony Davis has pushed the Lakers to 33-8, and eight, and they're the best team in the league in the, Ameri- in the Western Conference. And, you know, Paul, we'll see what happens with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs. I actually... I'm not convinced that Danilo Gallinari and Shea Gildas Alexander might not just be better there, but we'll see. Um, you know, so you're right to the point of if they win a championship, but I think that maybe the lesson is that winning the championship is going to turn out to be awfully expensive. Plus, I also think in today's world, with the amount of coaching and the sophistication, that players can get better than in prior ages. And I also think there's more quality players. So in the old days, if you made a three for one, you were probably getting three average. Now you can get, and this is just my theory, it may be off the wall, but I, I think you can get younger players that can get better. So there's more quality guys out there. So if you make those trades, you're not looking so one lops- one-sided or lopsided as they may have been in the past. And the other one I didn't always believe in is that a player switching, and I'm not sure I still believe in it, um, that I, I always think the mistake franchises make is when they think they'll change a player 
Um, I always think that's a little bit of a um, concern. But, boy, the Brandon Ingram evolution to New Orleans, and New Orleans is not known as a player development hub, um, is pretty incredible. I mean, you know, one, he's taking five more shots a game in the same amount of time, so they certainly are, like, give, they're turning the game over to him. And it was interesting talking to David Wesley before the game of their TV crew. He said, you know, I said, what changed? And he goes, you know what, the biggest thing that changed is that Brandon – began to get comfortable being the man. He was just really uncomfortable early in the year when we tried to turn games over to him and now he's, you know, a grasping and certainly last night will propel him. That was that was a, as good a singular performance as you'll see. That and and the passing late was better than anything he did with the forty seven points or forty nine points. You know, the thing on him by the way, we talk about Joe Ingles all the time, that Joe Ingles is six eight, playing the pick and roll with his size and length and vision even though maybe he lacks some athleticism, he's super at it and can do all that. Brandon Ingram's six eight, so Brandon Ingram's playing the pick and roll with all of those skills, and then last night couldn't miss from the mid range. David, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week. My pleasure. Hope you guys are good. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us here on ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone.